Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. We are so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time, I encourage you to stop by Guest Services, located on the big pallet wall in the lobby. Our greeters can answer any questions you may have, give you lots of information about our programs and upcoming events, and we have a free gift for you to take home. Well, it's finally October, and we have so many great things happening this month, starting with our code drive, which is happening right now. We'll be collecting gently used coats, warm blankets, and sleeping bags through next Sunday to be distributed to those in need in our community and the surrounding area through Bethesda Mission. If you'd like to make any donations, you can place them in the large black bin located next to guest services in the lobby. Next Sunday is also Communion Sunday. Each quarter when we celebrate communion, we also take a special offering for our Benevolence Fund. This fund is used to help people right here in our own backyard experiencing financial difficulties. And finally, our kids ministry has a great family fun event planned on Friday, October 25th at Butcher's Family Fun Farm. You can find out more information and RSVP at guest services or on our website at cccduncannon.com slash events. Thanks for coming, everyone. I hope you have a great week. Good morning. morning. If you had a hard time getting a seat, I apologize. We probably didn't have quite enough chairs in here today, but I'm glad everybody got snuggled in with one another. That's good. Good for fellowship. My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. We're starting a new series today called Not Today, Satan. And so you might be wondering a little bit what sort of a series is this going to feel like, particularly if you're a visitor, particularly if you're somebody that's like, I don't believe any of this stuff. I'm still kicking it around. It's going to be an interesting series. What do I mean by interesting? I mean sobering. So I probably won't be my, my usual dynamic, really entertaining, cool self. <laughs> because I need to be the shepherd version of me. And what happens with sheep is the shepherd's like always there to defend them. But the way the whole shepherding thing works with a pastor is I can't be everywhere. So I've got to sometimes explain what's out there so that you're prepared for it. So I want you to pray with me as we um, are opening up this series. And again, even if you're not a believer, just shut your eyes and bow your heads. Nobody will steal your wallet probably. And just pray with me anyways. Father God, we come to you this morning. Some of us are just searching for you. Some of us are coming home to you from a, a vacay. But Father, we need your help. Your word tells us 
that there are, are dark things out there and that we need to be wise and protect ourselves from them and to hide in your protection. Would you give us wisdom as you give us your word this morning and your spirit? Would you lead, guide, and direct our hearts and our minds and our actions? And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, so let me give you two extremes. I wasn't raised in church. Some of you know that story. And so if you say something like Satan, I think of Saturday Night Live and the church lady, right? And I think before I became a follower of Jesus, I thought if somebody says Satan or devil or Lucifer or Beelzebub or whatever, that's all myth. That's all fairy tales. That's all nonsense. It's the sort of things that religions come up with in order to scare people into behavior change. And so that's one way to view Satan, and, and some people do that. They, that. That's just really religious, spiritual nonsense. Even some believers basically treat it that way. They don't really engage in it, and it's much more than a, a, a concept. On the other extreme over here is to be really obsessed about the whole demon thing, okay? Like, their demons are everywhere. They're they're crawling up the walls in this place. There's a demon of a man bun. I'm, in the name of Jesus, you need to cast that demon of that man bun and those earrings out. You need to cast out that demon of alcohol and demon of pornography and demon of being a Democrat and demon of anything. Okay, have you ever met any of these people? I have met these people. Okay, that's the other extreme. Everything is defined that way. In between the two extremes of myth and obsession is what does the Bible say? Now, I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions. So, does Satan dress in like all red? Okay. Does he have horns and a little tail thing and a pitchfork? Is he really ugly? You know, all those gargoyle pictures, all those paintings. Another rhetorical question. Does he, um, does he live in hell? Does he rule and reign over hell? Is he in charge, CEO of Hell, Inc.? No, actually, interestingly enough, he, he, um, he's in the world, it says, that he's roaming about the world seeking whom he may devour. Now, what's my point about the red suit and about the pitchfork and about ruling and reigning in hell and everything else is that we have this real clouded view of who Satan is that's based upon kind of cut and paste of TV and some, well, you know, I read Paradise Lost, and I don't want to admit this, but I, 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 the Constantine movie was cool, and I, I watch Lucifer every week because he's really nifty, and we form our opinion about what's going on based upon paintings and poems and pop culture. Now, I wonder if that's a, a good idea. And you're wondering, what's, what's the tone of this sermon going to be like? Well, let me tell you exactly what the tone of this sermon is going to be like. What's the tone of a dialogue about a predator? Let me give you an example. Okay. When you sit down with a little kid and you open up one of those books, and you know, A is for apple. 
example, very good. But in theology, A is for autonomy, and that's the transition that you have to make. You, you go from being a child, A is for apple. And when I learned theology, one of the core things that I learned very soon in the beginning is that A is for autonomy, and autonomy is, God, I'm good, I can make it without you. There's a predator out there. How do you explain a predator to a child? Have you had to do that? I mean, we live in a world that's got some dark, twisted, nasty stuff, right? Stranger danger. Yeah, but, but Dad, tell me what, you know, what, uh, stranger, are there, there's bad people out there. What do they, what do they look like? Because they see the villains and, you know, Disney and everything else. And, and so it's going to be this person and they're ugly and they're dressed in this you know, black thing with a cowl on top. I mean, they're going to look like... No, we don't tell our kids exactly what predators look like. And I'll tell you why here in just a second. The other thing we don't tell our kids is we don't tell predators what do. What, what are they going to do, Dad? They're going to do bad things. What bad things? And if you're a parent... You don't go forward with the conversation because you've read all the stories and it is so horrific in your mind that you don't have the guts to tell your kids what bad people are going to do. Now, there's the question. What do predators look like? I'll tell you what predators look like. When I grew up, we all thought that predators were, you know, those bad people someplace else. Predators look like your best friend. They look like your neighbor. They're kind, thoughtful, helpful. They groom you. Slowly inch you away from safety until they corner and trap you in something else. That's the way scripture describes Satan. Not ruling and reigning in hell. Angel of light. Come to you like your best friend. Help you out, hook you up. Are you prepared to defend yourself from him? It says in Genesis 3, 1 this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now let me catch you up on a whole bunch of things. This is Genesis, early, three chapters in. What is Genesis? Genesis is basically God sitting down with Moses and saying, let me give you the backstory on everything that's going on, the big picture of everything that's going on. That's what Genesis is. Where did evil come from? Where did, this is what's going on. So in this little part, there's this serpent, and he's more crafty than any beast of the field. Now, what does that mean? More crafty than any beast of the field. Well, it means that he's extraordinarily smart and subtle and wise. So let me say something. And if you've ever posted this on your Facebook wall, just don't, you don't need to delete it this afternoon. But I'm going to point out something for you to just consider. Okay? There's this little poster thing, and it says something like this. Satan pointed to the storm and said, you're not ready for this. And I said, I am the storm. Okay. 
What, what, what do you mean by you, you are the storm? You're, you're ready for this, right? You, you're ready to take on Satan. Well, yeah, I'm ready to take on Satan. Why are you ready to take on Satan? Because I got God with me. Now, here's where Satan's going to start being slippery. He's going to say, oh, you got God with you when you're fighting me. Huh, okay. Well, yeah. Is God in your finances? Is God in your emotions? Is, is God in your mind? You know scripture really, really well. It's funny because I, I don't see God in that addiction or that really bad attitude or that gossip or negative. You know what? I don't think you are the storm. I think that you are nowhere near prepared for somebody that has been doing this for thousands of years and has calculated it down to a ridiculous algorithm science that has snapped people like twigs left and right. That's what I think Scripture says. Now, if you don't believe Scripture, that's fine. You can just read the news and look at the news and go, do I think that truth and love and light is ruling and reigning? Or do I think darkness and chaos and evil? I want you to watch this clip here in just a second. It's going to be a little intro to Satan and the demons. And then we'll come back to Genesis and talk a little bit more about what's going on. So we've been learning about spiritual beings in the Bible, and I still have a lot of questions about the bad ones. Well, great. Let's talk about the Satan and demons in the story of the Bible. So let's start in the beginning. In Genesis 1, God creates a beautiful, ordered reality out of darkness and disorder so that life can flourish. He appoints humans as his representatives to rule over all of it, and seven times God calls it good. Yeah, I experience that kind of goodness often in the world, in things like beauty and truth, love and generosity. But in Genesis 3, we meet a creature who's in a state of rebellion against his creator. We're not told yet why or how he rebels, but he's on a mission to ruin God's good world for other creatures. This thing is trouble. Yeah, this creature is the Bible's first portrait of evil. It distorts what God has purposed for good, ruining and dragging creation back into darkness and disorder. So the humans join the spiritual rebel, which leads them back into chaos and death. And from this point on, the human rebellion is interwoven with a spiritual rebellion. And the biblical story shows how this happens over and over again. Okay, but wait. We're getting all this from a slithering snake? Well, there are clues in the story that it's more than just a snake. Remember, Eden is a high place where the earth and its creatures overlap with heaven and its creatures. So the snake could be a spiritual being. Well, Genesis 3 points in that direction, and then later biblical authors fill in the picture. Like when the prophet Isaiah has a vision of God's heavenly throne room, he's surrounded and being praised by the spiritual beings. Yeah, these are the cherubim around God's throne. But when Isaiah sees these creatures, he describes them as seraphim, which in Hebrew means snake. Ah, so the snake is like a former staff member in God's throne room. So why is he talking to the humans? Well, the prophet Ezekiel understood this figure as a spiritual rebel who didn't want to live under God's wisdom and authority. He wanted to be God. All right, that's the same temptation the snake puts before Adam and Eve. Exactly. He says they could rule the world like God, but by their own wisdom. So they're all kicked out of the garden. Yeah, God says this rebel will now crawl on its 
belly. Where does it go after this? Well, the biblical authors offer subtle clues where this being is at work behind the scenes, animating division and hatred between humans. They also use a variety of images to describe this being. It's a snake, or a sea dragon, or a dark desert creature, or the king of death in the grave. He's also given many titles, like tempter, or the evil one, or the devil, which in Greek means the slanderer. But his name is Satan, right? Actually, no. Satan is not a name. It's another one of these titles, which is why in Hebrew it has the word the in front of it. The Satan means the adversary, because he isn't for anything, rather he's anti-everything, working through lies to drag us back into darkness and disorder. That's intense. Welcome to your enemy. Now you may ask, is this really about an apple? Now I already told you, it's not about an apple. It's not even an apple listed in Scripture. That's just something we came up with. It's some fruit. The apple moves the plot forward. What's the plot? The plot is autonomy or intimacy with God. So you may wonder every now and then, why well, is this about rebellion? Is this about you know stealing the apple? It's, it's not that simple. What Satan is looking for is he's looking for the opposite of what God's looking for. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it comes up over and over and over again. The righteous are justified by faith. 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 Trusting God. Trusting God. Trusting God. The big idea of the Bible is not social justice. The big idea of the Bible is not morality. The big idea of the Bible is not how you can be more sacrificial or more worship. All of those components are floating around in there. But the thing that's happening over and over and over again is the question, do you trust God or not? And what Satan is going to do as your adversary is inch by inch Chisel you away from trusting God. Trusting God, again, in your money, sexuality, mind, attitude, marriage, relationships, you name it. Any place he can block God out, he will. And every place that you block God out in your life, Darkness and chaos will reign and rule. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And you might go, why did I say it that way? Well, I said it that way because if you read a little bit earlier in Genesis, God did indeed say you can't eat from this or you're going to die. He didn't say you can't touch it. What's going on? Why do we exaggerate? Why do we exaggerate? Why do I, I tell my kids, you know, you can't go down to the downstairs at 2 a.m. and get into the, the pie in the fridge. And then they go down there two or three times and get the pie in the fridge. And so eventually I say, you can't go downstairs and, and get the pie in the fridge because Chucky's in there with a knife and he'll kill you. I exaggerate. 
That's not real. It's not true. That's not going to happen. I went fishing. I caught a fish. Now, why would she exaggerate something here? God told me to not eat from the tree. Simple enough. Why add to it? Don't even touch it. Because the temptation's already working. Does that mean she sinned? No, the temptation is already working. She hasn't actionized it yet. What's Satan looking for? Satan's just slithering in like he does. I'm your friend. Hey, what's going on? You're looking at that tree. Let's poke around. Let's just ask a rhetorical question. Did God really say you can't eat from the tree? And then she responds back, I can't eat from the tree. I can't even touch it or I'm going to die. And Satan sees the weak spot in her thinking and feeling. (laughs) Now the question becomes this. Do you think Satan is slithering around your life looking for the weak spots in your marriage, in your emotions, in your addictions, in your attitude, in your heart? You think he's posing rhetorical questions that seem like whispers in your own mind, trying to find out where God is trusted and where God is not trusted, because that's the game he plays. In Genesis 3, 4, 5, Satan enters in a little bit farther to the conversation. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die? You kidding me? God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's like, look, who who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? One, he asked just this rhetorical question. No big deal, right? Did, Did God really say? He's starting to plant some seeds about what God's really saying and what his intentions are. The woman responds back, not with a lie, but with a half-truth, an exaggeration. God said to not eat it, but not even touch it. So what does Satan have to work with? He knows that there's a weak spot. He knows that she's willing to lie a little bit. So he just plays the big lie all together. Are you kidding me? That God guy? That God guy. That God guy's keeping good stuff from you. You could have the knowledge of good and evil. You could eat great stuff. Why in the world are you going to trust this God guy? The story goes on. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband that was with her and he ate. She buys the lie. Hook, line, sinker. She looks at it and she goes, that, that is, that's good for food. That, that is. And it's delightful to look at. It's, it's a great best apple I've ever seen. And I want to be smart. I want to know the difference between good and evil. I want to be wise. And so instead of trusting the creator, I'm going to shift allegiances a little bit and start trusting myself, creatures down here, and creation. That is our disaster that we've inherited. 
Instead of trusting our creator, we trust creatures down here, created stuff. And we look at it all and say, I want, I want, and it's good, and can't I have it? Can't I have an affair? Can't I just look at a little bit of porn? Can't I embezzle a little bit of money? Can't I shoplift this thing here? Can't I get revenge through gossip and slander? Can't I, can't I, can't I? It seems reasonable. It seems calculated. It seems wise. It seems to work. It seems to make sense. And you know what? God's not really looking out for me. He doesn't seem super focused on my happiness agenda. And you know what? You're right. See, the way Satan can play the the lie when he says, God's not super focused on your happiness agenda, we go, that's true. Now, the thing that's not true is God is good. God has an agenda. But your happiness is not the driver for the universe. In fact, what God wants to do is he wants to bring lots of joy and happiness to the world, but a lot of that is through our sacrificial living of life, of living very differently than observing trees and stuff that we want and getting it at all costs. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What in the world has happened? What happens is they buy the lie and they didn't realize that what came with the lie is this avalanche of guilt and shame. What else comes with the lie? Well, there's a whole great big list. There's cover-ups, and there's hiding, and there's rationalization, there's excuses, and there's blame, and there's playing the victim and saying, it's just who I am, and I'm living my truth, and defensiveness, and the 10,000 other things we do to box God out, to not have faith and intimacy and trust with him, so that we can live our lives autonomously, because we're way smarter than he is. And Satan just keeps whispering these things over and over again. And it's not just that you read the news or you read the Bible. Candidly, a good portion of us could just read a couple of chapters back in our autobiography and realize this is a really bad idea. And we do it over and over again. Now, the curious thing that you'll find out later in Scripture is that Satan wants to be worshipped. And you're like... Yeah, I ain't, ain't going to do that anytime soon. I'm not going to, you know, do a pentagram in blood and get a goat's head and dress up in a thing and, I don't know, quote Latin. Of course not. not none of you would be devil worshippers like that, right? Right? I hope. Yeah. I'll cast that demon out right now. All right. But, but here's the thing. Let me, let me throw it out to you like this. Let me, let me tell you just crystal clear. I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan. Not a Buffalo Bills fan. I may have a couple of Buffalo Bills jackets, but I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan. I may have been to Rich Stadium. I may have memorized the starting roster of 88, 89, 90, and 91. I, I am not a Buffalo Bills fan, even though I seem to dress in this red, white, and blue an awful lot of the time. And I'm still mad at a coach who benched Flutie for a guy named Rob Johnson, but I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan. You get it? I can say I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan all I want, but there's a different evidence going on underneath it. So people will say, well, I'm not going to worship Satan. And then I say something like this. If you agree with his argument, don't you realize you already are? 
He says, we find out in the book of Job, God, you know why these people follow you? They follow you for two reasons. One, fire insurance for someday. And two, on the off chance that maybe you'll give them some sort of an experience or blessing or make their lives nice. Other than that, these people are, they're, they're not even remotely interested in you. That's the only thing that's going on. And God says, I'll take that bet because I don't think that that's the only thing going on. But the way that this is all played out in us is Satan comes to us all the time and says, look, bad things are happening. God's not your friend. God's not, God's not got your back. I've got your back. You're depressed right now? I've got lots and lots of ways to help that. What's God doing? And you start to go, yeah, what's God doing? And you start to take the bait of Satan left and right. Now, he doesn't warn you about the consequences. He doesn't say how this thing is going to build. He doesn't say everything's going to burn down later. No, no, no. He just says, I got your back for a good time. I'm helping you out. I'm hooking you up. I'm just asking rhetorical questions, and I'm trying to be your pal. He's grooming you. Genesis 3.8 says this. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Because it's, like, it's not like God has, find my iPhone, find my Adam and Eve. It's, you know, I, I can hide from God. I mean, that's crazy. How can I hide from God? Well, let me give you a couple of things to think about. Because you might go, again, I'm not going to eat that apple. I'm not stupid, but it's about autonomy. I'm not going to worship Satan but it's about autonomy. I'm not going to hide from God. Here's how we hide from God. We hide from God every time we're ignorant about what he says. We're hiding ourselves from God in his voice. Every time we act in rebellion to the things that God has said, whether we're ignorant of it or whether we're just in a wild ride, we're hiding from God. We hide from God all the time. We hide our finances Again, our sexuality, our marriage, our parenting, our friends, our, the list just goes on and on and on. And when we hide from God, we realize that thing that Satan is trying to do is starting to work. He's starting to wedge, wedge you out. You can live this part of your life apart from God and this part of your life apart from God. These are the sections Genesis 3.9, it says this, Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Hey, Adam, yo, dude, where are you? And what's he trying to do? He's trying to wake something up in Adam. He's not trying to get longitude and latitude. It's basically a question that's, Adam, what happened, dude? What, what, what's going on? We're going to read more of this account in the coming weeks, but for right now, it's just God saying, What happened? Now, again... You may read this and go, well, that's in my Bible. That's about Adam. <laughs> it's about us. What happened? You know where you're at in all sorts of things. Hate your boss. Hate your parents. Hate something that happened to you. You're addicted to something. You spend all your time doing this. There's all kinds of things. What happened? What did Satan say? What in the world is going on? And the question becomes, do we know how to answer that. 
Because that's how you defend yourself against this predator, is you've got to know how he's working in your life and what he's doing. I've got depression, so he, he's, 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 a, he's played the card since day one. You're depressed, and you know what? I don't think, God, I don't think God's going to do anything about it. And I'm like, you know what? I am depressed. And you know what? You're right. I don't know if God's going to do anything about it because I, I don't buy the idea that his job is my happiness. Well, you want those bad feelings to go away. I do want those bad feelings to go away. Well, here's options A through Z, right? To make those bad feelings go away. And I can sit back and say, you know what? I've, I've, I've tried several items on the menu, and I got, very, I got food poisoning from all of them. And I barfed all night long, so I think I've, I've learned to maybe not listen to you about these things. Well, what about those feelings? Those feelings are just feelings. That's all they are. You're not my friend. God's job is not making me happy. I'm going to keep engaging him, and I'm not going to let you have inroads because I've let you have inroads before, and they're always disasters. So I'm getting wiser about what I let him into. Are we getting wiser? In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul, writing to a church as a shepherd, says this, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. In the original language, it's a, it's a, a sentence structure full of prepositions. And the prepositions go something like this. Paul is basically saying, I'm afraid that Satan is going to get in and start chiseling away, separating you from God, and trying to take over more and more territory in your heart, in your mind, your life. And then his rebuttal to that, his answer, is turn around. Don't be led astray. The, the idea is repent, which is just, it's a religious word, but it's a fancy word for turn around and face the opposite direction and focus on the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Sim, simplicity of letting Christ in. Matter of fact, it's not, the word devotion isn't even in the scripture. It means to be in Jesus with simplicity and with purity. What does simplicity mean? It means single-minded focus. It doesn't mean simple like an idiot. It means simple like a single-minded focus. My focus is Jesus. That's what I'm looking at. And a purity. What does that mean? It means I'm not corrupted by 10,000 other things that are obstacles to me being single-minded focused on Christ. So what do I have to do? I've got to turn from being led astray. I've got to repent. I've got to face Christ. Keep my focus. Get rid of encumberments that are in the way. Let me tell you something about sin. That fancy old schmancy word. There's a guy sitting at the computer. He's thinking about watching something he shouldn't watch. And so he... I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to watch porn. Now, the longer he does this, what do you think is going to happen? That's what he's going to do. He's magnetized to it. He's empowered it. He's completely focused on it. it it's sucking him up like a vacuum. But if he stops being white-knuckled, just turns around and says, 
I'm running to Jesus. That's my focus. That's where hope is. That's where help is. I'm running to Jesus. I'm not not going to do something. You're magnetized to what you focus on. And that's what Paul is saying as a shepherd to sheep. He's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let Jesus into finances, sex, heart, mind, his scripture, prayer, worship. Let it saturate. That's what's going to keep you safe because there's an extraordinarily nasty individual out there with a whole bunch of helpers that are way smarter than you'll ever be who's going to eat your lunch and you are way out of your league trying to fight back. Run to God. What do devils do? They do a bunch of different things. One, they want to isolate you because they are predators. They want to isolate you and have privatized conversations with you in your, in your heart, in your mind. Two, they want to play the friend. It's not like a mean gargoyle is going to show up and say, eh, let's become a meth addict. No, thanks, anyways. No, that's not what they do. They play the friend. Let's have an affair. You deserve it. That's, that's the way they play the cards. They question to create doubt. Doubt in you. Doubt in God. They twist the intentions of others, particularly about God. God doesn't have your back. God's not focused on your happiness. God's not making the, your life a little Walt Disney world. And God never promised any of those things. He just needs to say it. He just needs to frame the question that way to start to get you to go, yeah, yeah, God doesn't, yeah. And of course, he lies about his motivations. Me, here to set you up and then laugh at you when you go down in flames? No, 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 no. I'm your friend. I'm not, I'm not like the adversary and the accuser. I wouldn't like set you up and then go laugh about it to God. What kind of a sick, twisted friend would do that? That's what he does. Tempts. Hangs you out to dry. And of course, minimize consequences. That's his job. He wants to minimize the consequences. This is no big deal. It's just a small little thing. In Scripture, the way it works all the time is these little footholds that become strongholds over time, inching you away from God. I'm telling you, you need to turn. You need to see where Satan is messing with your life. You need to turn and you need to face God with simplicity, unencumbered. And you need to let God into everything. Because this is not a game and it's not a myth. And it's not me saying some mumbo-jumbo words about it in the name of Jesus. This is a real fight. It's the fight of your life. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. We know you're bigger, stronger, wiser, greater than Satan. And yet, Father, we... We confess we don't, we don't take him seriously, and we've paid the price. Father, show us his lies. Show us your truth. Help us to not hide from you, but to turn and face you and to run towards you. God, lead us, direct us, protect us, but show us how to be wise. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. All God's people said.